October 5th, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 2, verse 7. Christ is the head of the church, which is His body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And by Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of His blood on the cross. This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has brought you back as His friends. He has done this through His death on the cross in His own human body. As a result, He has brought you into the very presence of God and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed by God to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am completing what remains of Christ's suffering for His body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to His own holy people. For it has pleased God to tell His people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance that you will share in His glory. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us. For we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this, as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other friends who have never known me personally. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which is Christ Himself. In Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will be able to deceive you with persuasive arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I am very happy because you are living as you should, and because of your strong faith in Christ. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to Him. Let your roots grow down into Him, and draw up nourishment from Him, so you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all He has done. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul writes, For I have made a decision, or I have determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul is essentially saying here, I've made a decision. 
I am not going to spend my life contemplating, considering all of the knowledge, education, and information I have gathered over my many years. In fact, those things mean very little to me next to nothing in comparison to Jesus Christ and the cross. What Paul is saying is, I have made a decision today. I'm going to spend the rest of my life considering, immersing myself, and obsessing over what Jesus did for me on the cross. You've got to decide what you're going to live for and what you're going to die for. Like when I die, I don't want to be known for my political persuasion. I don't want people to be like, well, he voted this and he was for... When I die, I don't want to be known for some invention. When I die, I don't want to be known for an organization that I built. When I die, I don't want to be known for some song I sang. When I die, I want to be known as a man who loved Jesus and preached the cross. I want to die on the hill of Calvary, which is to say I want my life to be lived for and from the cross. We want our life to be about what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross when he took our sins and took our punishment. I want my life to end there. Like when they write something on my tombstone, I want it to have something to do with Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. The Bible does not tell us if there were any other disciples at the cross. Some scholars believe they just were not mentioned, but they were actually present. But the only, the only disciple out of 12 we ever have record of being at the foot of Jesus' cross was John. I wonder if they are indicators I wonder if there are things we can see in John's life that might be able to teach us or to enlighten us on how to live our life for and from the foot of the cross. Like, for instance, where was Peter? Well, we know Peter wasn't at the foot of the cross. Peter had betrayed Jesus, hadn't he? Vehemently three specific times. I mean, most believers would say, I want my life to be about the gospel. I want my life to be about Jesus. I want my life to be about what Jesus accomplished for humanity at the cross. And couldn't we all agree that's what we're after and that's what we want? Come on, when there's a challenge in your business or a challenge in your marriage or your kids are acting crazy, you... Your knee-jerk reaction is probably not to use Jesus as a pillow. We live by stone. We live by trying to flesh it out and work it out and make it happen and perform well and do good. And that's just like a life that trusts itself to fulfill God's commandments. Count the cost if you're going to live by the cross. Count the cost if you're going to live the gospel. Because it will not satisfy the flesh. And people who don't understand it will far more criticize the reclining disciple over the moving disciple. What are you doing? 
you're going to save your marriage, you better get up, do something. You're going to save, you're going to save your business. Well, you better do more than pray. They all vowed their allegiance to Jesus. Peter more so than anybody else. Remember what Peter did, because this is how the law works. The law works on comparison, and the law seeks to justify those who live by the law and are led by the law seek to justify themselves by others who are not as good as they are. And Peter said, what did Peter say? Peter said, if everybody else falters in this room, I won't. See, that is sensational, and that'll get you some likes and some retweets. Big flamboyant vows, that's the way of the law. People who are led by the law are more obsessed with their own words and their own vows as opposed to Jesus' words and his vows, such as I will never leave you nor forsake you. What enabled John, even in his weakness and his failures and his fears, to come back to the foot of the cross was because John's mind was more consumed with Jesus' love for him than his love for Jesus. So it enabled him to be there at the end of Jesus' earthly life. Where are the others? Where's Peter? I'll tell you where Peter is. Peter is a casualty of condemnation. Because if you live by the law, you die by the law. If you live consumed with your love for God and your performance and your deeds and your duties and your devotions, eventually you'll find yourself in a pity party apart from the cross. Condemnation will get the best of all of us until we lay our head on the heart of God and we recognize that His love is immeasurable, unconditional, and cannot be defeated and never fails. This is why Paul says, I've made a decision, you know. I've made a decision. Paul's credentials would stand up with the best of the best in society. He is a genius. A true definition of a genius. I'm talking about knowledge, information, education, and data. Paul can hang with the heavy hitters. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I've, I've made a decision, you know. I've made a decision. I'm going to spend the rest of my life on this planet not just gathering facts, information, and details, and education but I am going to obsess. I am going to consume myself. I am going to focus and set my head and my mind and my mentality on what Jesus did for me on the cross. Paul is essentially saying, I'm going to focus on Jesus' love demonstrated towards me on the cross. That's what I'm going to do. Wonder, with all the movement and all the motion, and all the energy, is it sustainable? Because unless their head is firmly planted on the heart of Jesus, it won't last. It won't last. And I fear that at the end of their days, they will not be at the foot of the cross. They'll be somewhere in the backwoods with Peter in a pity party wondering what happened and why didn't my vows of devotion and discipline work for me? 
the only way you're going to make it the long haul is to do what right now seems so unorthodox. Psalms 46, the psalmist says, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Which is to say, stop, wait, sit, rest, rely, recline, trust, listen, whisper. You're not God. Take off the crown. Reject the Messiah complex. You can't fix yourself, let alone fix your marriage. Lay on him. Lean on him. Recline on him. Trust in him. He'll never reject your recline. They're going to write blogs. They're going to write emails. You're going to be criticized, friends. You got to count the cost when it comes to living the gospel. And many people think well, when we say that, what I mean is because you're going to have to do so much. Actually, I believe counting the cost and living the gospel has more to do with the fact that you won't do as much. And that's what people won't like.